everyone, welcome to another episode of the Wet Boots Podcast, where I talk to people who are or have been in the military, and I get a chance to hear their story. My guest today has had a hell of a career. She just medically retired last year. Uh, since then, she's been traveling far and wide all around the world, and most importantly, she's an entrepreneur with many companies under her belt. Please welcome my guest today, Ashley Powell, everybody. Ashley Powell. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. I just want to give you a standing ovation. I just keep getting... All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Ashley, thank you for coming on the podcast. And um, we, we talked before, you had an extensive career. Um, and little known fact, Ashley actually found me through Instagram. You saw one of my posts of uh, Mutt C. <laughs> And you have first-hand experience in Mud Sea. Oh, my God. Yeah, I posted after I saw your post of um, your one of your previous guests talking about how haunted it was. I had to, like, <laughs> post about the prison. I lived there for, like, two weeks. Oh, my God. It was terrible. Yeah, it was super terrible. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I retired in November of last year. I had started investing in old houses prior to while I was active duty, and I started turning them into Airbnbs. Since I retired, I decided to, one, work as a paramedic. I moved up to Sanford, so I work as a paramedic in Lee County right now. And then I just wanted to save all the old houses. That's just kind of become my mission. So I started building companies around doing that. And that's where I'm at right now. I live part-time between here, North Carolina, and Pensacola because I'm a beach bum at heart. So that's it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Tell us a little bit about uh, your life before you joined the Army. Oh, man. I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't really do much. I graduated high school. I lost a scholarship because I was a shithead child. When I lost that, I got a community college scholarship, went to college a little bit, and then I lost my second scholarship. And I mean, I was just kind of working. And so one day a recruiter called me and he was like, hey, uh, you took the ASVAB in high school. Uh, you did really well. Would you like to join the army? And I'm like, eh. I, I mean, I hadn't done anything in a while. Like, I'm itchy. I like to move. I like to be on the go. And I was kind of, if we're being honest, getting myself in, like, a really sticky situation where I was at. So I was like, eh, fuck it. And let's I do it. Yeah. You're like, let's do it. Yeah. Six months later, I was in the Army. <laughs> oh, my God. So six months later, you're in the Army. What, uh, you're in basic training. Uh, what's going through your mind at this point? Uh, where the fuck am I? What did I do? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God. I didn't know anybody in the military prior to. And when I graduated high school, I don't know, any female, as everyone knows, like going through an identity crisis changes her hair, right? So <laughs> I had graduated high school and I decided to cut all of my hair into this like weird fucking pixie cut where it's like short in the back or long in the front. And it was like bleach blonde on top and fire engine red underneath. It was absolutely terrible. It was God awful. So, but right. Like when I joined the numbers back then were like, Hey, just, just get them in, right. Mm -hmm. Get them in, get them in, get them in. So I get in and I get to, what do we say? It's called reception. Mm -hmm. Like before you're actually in basic training and here's Ashley showing up with fucking Bright bleach blonde hair with fire engine red hair underneath. Oh, shit. 
<laughs> my recruiter was like, or my drill sergeant that I got to was like, what the fuck is this? This is not okay. You're not doing this. So they ended up going to the PX and buying a box of like dark brown dye. And they were like, you will fucking dye your hair. <laughs> now, anybody that's been in reception knows that you only have like three hours of sleep. Yeah. Well, those three hours were spent with me trying to dye my hair in the fucking public bathroom there. Cool. I did it. I got it. Right? We're good? No, we're not good. Oh, shit. The blonde didn't stick. Like, or the brown didn't stick to any of the blonde. <laughs> so I have kind of like red auburn hair on the bottom. Okay. Still bleach blonde. White as a fucking fuck. Oh, my God. So the drill sergeant's like, well, here's the deal. If you want to go to basic training, you got to cut it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually shaved your head. I did. So they let me keep like a little bit of it because the root held on to the brown. Okay. So maybe about an inch, like all the way out, all gone. So you're and, a buzz cut. And then in I went this to training. training. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great. It was oh great. my god. So your first ID was just <laughs> terrible. Dude, I looked like a little boy. Um, you know, I would be safe like. It was very sleep deprived, little boy. Maybe As everybody in. is, yeah. but oh <laughs> you're looking God. like a little boy in your it first cat coat so, picture. I, I looked like a 13 year old child that hadn't slept in two weeks. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like boy, that. Boy child. <laughs> I like that. Uh, during basic training, is there anybody that kind of stood out to you? Oh my God. I don't remember this girl's name, but again, we talked about like numbers were like a big thing back then, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if you can make it through, just make it. Just get them in. Yeah. So there was this girl who like clearly from day one was a meth addict. Like, like, um, like, uh, shout out to you. I have no idea where she is right now. She might be dead. I don't know. Um, <laughs> dude, like, it was so bad from the beginning. She started having withdrawals. She was, like, shaken. She'd sweat. Everyone felt really bad because, like, a lot of people, I didn't know at the time what she was going through. But a lot of people, like, talked about it. So I learned what she was going through. Like, withdrawals. So they would give her their MREs, stuff like that. Well, I remember during Pugle Stick Day, right? Um, they gave us mouth guards, and we had to like put the mouth guards in, and then you just basically beat each other with Pugle Sticks. Yeah. Um, I got paired up with her, and I really didn't fucking like this girl. <laughs> so I kind of feel bad if she's dead right now. But um, <laughs> she puts the mouth guard in, and then immediately takes it out and starts. Oh, so like you don't crying. even. So you don't even hit her yet. No. Oh. I haven't even touched her. Okay. I haven't even touched her. She puts it in, and she pulls it out. She starts crying, and she looks at it, and there's like blood everywhere. Her mouth is bloody. It looks like I've just beat the shit out of her, and there's a fucking tooth like sitting there, in the mouth guard, and her fucking tooth <laughs> fell out. Well, you haven't done anything. I haven't touched her. I haven't touched her at all. And drill sergeant comes over. He's like, what the fuck, bro? And I was like, I didn't touch her. It wasn't me. And like, she's gone mental like already. So later, like they pull her aside. A couple hours later, she like loses her shit. Like in like, I don't know. She has a full mental breakdown. Yeah. And then they move her to wherever like the holdovers go that fail basic training. And yeah. we never saw her again. But I just remember like, a math addict. <laughs> like, 
now I know my why my recruiter was so nervous about me like peeing because he's like, do you do you yeah. need pee? Do you need pee? You good? You got it? And I'm like, oh, so like what? Like what? <laughs> <That's> like, <he's laughs> like what? Now I know because your beach man. blonde hair, yeah, your white blonde yeah. hair, and your fire engine <laughs> yeah. red hair. He's like worried about you. Definitely on something. <laughs> so you never heard from this girl again? No. Oh my god! I just took her out back and shot her. <laughs> So after, after that, you go to AIT. What's your MOS at this point? Uh, I was a 68 kilo, which is a lab tech. Whoever knows what the fuck that is, I don't know. I nah. mean, yeah. It's an ancillary service. Um, our AIT is like a year long, though. Okay. So, yeah. I look at it as like, in the medical field, medics are like the premier, right? And then you have all the other like MOSs that like help support those. Um like doctors, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to school for it to be a lab tech. Um, and that, that school's like a year long. It's in San Antonio. Um, I learned a lot. And I just remember, though, like we got into so much trouble while we were there. Um, but we had this one drill sergeant that anytime he was on um, CQ, he would, so back in the day, I don't know if they still do this at all, but back in the day, they used to have to go do like bed checks, right? And they would like physically walk into your room and check and make sure everyone's in their beds, yeah. right? Um, so he would walk in and if he ever found anybody like not in their beds, he would leave a uh, baby powdered reminder or like message like, I know you weren't there. <laughs> okay. Well, we were really, his name is Drill Sergeant Moses. Shout so, out. Yeah, dude. This dude was like one of my favorite drill sergeants. Um, one night, me and my roommate sneak out. We've been there for so long. Like, let us just go party, please. Right? <laughs> yeah. I had a fake ID. I was looking fly. Let's do it. We get back four o'clock in the morning and I open the door and it like, like ruffles up some fucking baby powder. <laughs> oh, so he knew. And there's a snowman on our fucking entryway right there that was like there. And you have to clean it up because yeah. at 7 a.m. a new person is coming through and they're going to do bed check. So you have to have it cleaned up because if not, you're going to tattle on yourself. So, yeah, 4 a.m. we're drunk trying to clean up a baby powder snowman on our floor also knowing that he knew. <laughs> he knew we weren't there. <laughs> he knew you weren't there. Y'all yeah. yeah, were drunk. Y'all yeah, were partying. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was not of age. It was allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. This all allegedly happened. Uh, so uh, so after uh, AIT, the norm is for people to go to airborne school. Did you go to airborne school right I, after that? I did not. I was, I was a lab tech, man. Lab techs don't go to airborne school. Okay. I actually did go to airborne school as a lab tech, but I was like one of only three ever qualified airborne lab techs in the entire United oh States Army. Oh yeah. my God. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I actually went to Germany first off. So I got stationed out there at a clinic. Okay. So how was your time there? <laughs> a joke, dude. It was a wake up call for me, man. Like I, I didn't know anything about the army and I thought when I was joining, especially after basic training, that I was going to be like running around with a gun, like shooting people. And then maybe every once in a while, cause I had been to lab tech school, I'd draw their blood too. Mm -hmm. Right? No, dude, I got put in a clinic 
didn't have a weapon, anything. And I was like, what? Is this the army? Like, Just what is living happening? your life. Yeah, it was so weird. It was so weird. Um, I, it definitely wasn't like what I expected at all. So it was kind of like a culture shock after being indoctrinated. You're like, oh, what the, what, where is all these things that I'm supposed to do? I just, I just work in a clinic drawing blood every day. What do I, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. So in, in, uh, so finally you're stationed in Germany, right? Yep. You're living your life. Trying to. Living yeah. your hot girl summer life. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> is there any, uh, for the most part, when you, when you're new to the unit, there's certain rites of passage <laughs> that you have to go and we're and we're using rites oh. of passage in a certain can way can i just say it i'm just gonna say it right? you could like, say it back in the day it wasn't rites of passage <laughs> you're <laughs> fucking hazed that's true like yeah. it is it's still it's still a thing uh, like, good and and the, and the good see some of those rites of passages and some of those hazings techniques or procedures i guess you can call it they're great. They they're they have amazing. fun. They build morale, and yep. and it's just great for the group. Dude, some of them are just to have fun. Some of them go too far. Some <laughs> of do. them do go too they far. They do absolutely, but it came from a good place. Like yeah. originally, like it, it's pulling you into like a brotherhood. It's pulling you into something like awesome. Um, I I obviously fell victim. Um, <laughs> we talked about it earlier. Yeah. Uh, head shaven little thirteen year old boy ID card. Um, oh, one that's of my right. First, first like really hard lessons I ever had to learn was like always keep positive control of your shit. Yep. 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 I left my cat card in my computer. Right, mm-hmm. like it was my computer. I thought it was fine. It was not fine. So within the first couple of days being at the clinic, someone uh, grabbed that ID card out of the computer and they scanned it with, uh, and if you've ever worked in a hospital, you know, a code blue, code pink sometimes, like I think code blue is normally cardiac arrest nowadays. So I think it's a code pink is a lost child. And I think that's like today's standard. Um, so someone faxed or excuse me scanned my id card with a code pink have you seen my little boy oh no. to the entire clinic staff oh, no. everybody <laughs> meanwhile i'm running around trying to find my cat card and everyone is laughing at me like <laughs> i found the little boy oh <laughs> Yeah, it got worse though. It got worse, man. So, but your head still shaved when you get to yeah, Germany. Yeah. It's starting to grow out. It's starting like it's, it's like, in that weird it's, phase. It's in that weird like maybe she's a bush dyke. Like I don't know <laughs> phase. Yeah, it was tough, dude. It was oh, a tough shit. life. Um, oh my god! So they t- <laughs> so they took your cat card, called the code blue, and then emailed the picture to everybody. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. And then it gets worse because then I saw to learn my lesson of like, keep hold of your shit. Yeah. I left my beret. This was back when you had to wear berets. The black all berets. The time. Yep. So we wore a black beret all the time. Um, I left it sitting on my desk. Safe, right? No problem. Yeah. Fuck no. Um, so it, it vanished. And now I worked at a clinic. Uh there was a large bowl in the front of the clinic that had free condoms in it, right? And it was a large plastic bowl. 
Shout like, out to safe sex. Yeah. Shout dude, out to yeah. safe sex. Trying, trying, right? Like, <laughs> STD rate in the army is astronomically high. Trying to do that, especially on brag. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm looking around everywhere for my fucking beret, and one of my friends, right? <laughs> They're a co-conspirator. Um. Tells me like, oh, have you looked in the first sergeant's office? I'm like, that's a giveaway. The, why the fuck would I look in there? Like what? No. So I go sneak in there though on lunch. Uh, by the way, he fucking hates me. Like, <laughs> like this dude does not like me. So I sneak in there on lunch when he's gone, and I look in the freezer because apparently that's where I should look. Yeah. And all I see is the fucking bowl of condoms that we hand out. And I'm like, that's perfectly normal that my first sergeant has condoms in his freezer. In his freezer. <laughs> has a bowl of condoms yeah, in his freezer. Fine. Totally that's fine. perfectly fine. Totally fine. So I keep moving. Keep moving on. Keep looking for it. I can't find my beret anywhere. Now, back in the day when you did your um, anti-terrorism training, mm. it used to be in person. And it was called Saeda. So we, that afternoon, were closing the clinic down to go to our Saeda like, training. Mm-hmm. And we were forming up outside, so I needed to have my beret. I was freaking out. I couldn't find it anywhere. It had been missing for hours. <laughs> so about 20 minutes before formation, I, don't, I hate that you're laughing at this. It's such a good story. 20 minutes before formation, one of my friends, again, co-conspirators, was like, hey, did you look in first sergeant's office? And I was like, yeah, I did. There's nothing in there. They're well, like, it's just a big bowl of condoms. Exactly. Right. Like that's perfectly normal. I don't know any of these things. I'm 19 years old. Well, like, what and do you're I brand know? new to the unit too. Yeah, yeah. Brand new. I think that's normal for a first sergeant to have a bowl of condoms in his freezer. <laughs> She's like, did you look at the bowl? And I was like, no, I'm not going to touch his condoms. <laughs> She's like, go grab the bowl. You idiot. <laughs> grab it. She's My helping you out. Is frozen in this bowl of condoms. <laughs> In my first sergeant's office. <laughs> so, of course, as I'm grabbing it out of there, he walks in. Oh, like, my God. Yeah, and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, ah. Scared private Ashley just, like, runs. Like, tucks her tail and runs as fast as she can. Because <laughs> I have 15 minutes at this point in time to thaw my beret to wear for formation. Okay. I will say I got it thawed. I okay. got it thawed. <laughs> okay. Okay. But it was like sopping wet. So it's like dripping and I'm standing in formation and it's just dripping all over. Oh, shit. And of course my first sergeant, because we just had an interaction, comes over and he's like, what the fuck, private pal? And everyone's just giggling. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like- we were never friends. My first sergeant, <laughs> I never got along from that moment forward. <laughs> and you're just like, I don't know why. Yeah, it's just, it's just trying, wet. Yeah, we're just dealing yeah, with it. Just he's like, what happened? And I can't rat anybody out. No, absolutely like, not. He's got to roll with the punches sometimes. Yeah, I'm an idiot, first sergeant. I, I dropped it. I think I told him I dropped it in like toilet water or something like that. Because I know, was just like, didn't know what to say. I did that one time when I was in a. I, I, I told somebody I dropped my shit. Uh, I was in a, I was brand new here at Bragg and I was in my unit and we were in a, we're in the field mm-hmm. and I forgot my eye pro and we went so long without fucking doing anything. And then we had a little meeting or like a little huddle 
And then that's when I realized, oh, fuck, I've gone like 12 hours without my eye pros. So I yeah. went to the bathroom. And, and then as soon as I came back to the huddle, somebody's like, where the fuck's your eye pro? And I was like, oh, I dropped it in the Porta John. Sorry. <laughs> what? And I'm like, I dropped it in the Porta John. Why? And I was straight up like, because I'm an idiot, Sarn. That for some reason, whenever I whenever I fucked up, they would get mad. Whenever they'd be like, "Why the fuck did you do this? Why'd you fuck up?" I'm like, "Because I'm an idiot, Sarn." And they're like, "What?" All right. You take the wind out of their <laughs> yeah, sails, man. You really do. It's, it's the only. It, it's like it's the armadillo, right? Where you're just yeah. like you curl up, or you like do the dead possum, and you're like, "Yeah, that's all I got, man." That's that's all I got. <laughs> and got. For some reason, it would piss them off because they would they they thought that. I was being an asshole by being like, I'm an do idiot. It on purpose. Yeah, yeah, but I do it on purpose. But then they're like, I, all right. You would either get mad or just be like relaxed. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so you're in Germany. You're getting a haze like a motherfucker. At some point you get pinned fucking five, right? Fuck yeah, I do. Right before I get ready to leave, man. Ooh. And I I will say like, I really enjoyed my time and stuff, but getting pinned E5 in the regular army, like it's just a, it's again, a rite of passage, (laughs) but it was amazing, dude. Like, like the, like the overwhelming, like ceremony and like everything, like everyone supporting you and like, you knowing and like feeling that you've like made it there. And like, people don't do blood ranks anymore. They don't. Yeah. Germans do blood wings, which is, which is great. Yeah. I got blood airborne wings too. Um, which, they don't officially do anymore. Again, too allegedly, allegedly. But um, it, but it does feel great though because it, as soon as that needle pierces your chest, dude, you feel like you're a part of something. Yeah, it's exactly it. So I got pinned, um, and I I ended up PCSing very shortly after that. But I got pinned E five in a unit that I had gone from a PFC in to sergeant, and I had like worked my ass off over like years to get there. And so I got my blood rank and then they smoked the dog shit out of me. But it feels special. Oh, yeah. It feels great. Just get sprayed with a hose, doing push-ups. Yeah, dude. It was special, man. Like pinning after that and soft is just like, yeah, hey, you're Because you're just Congrats. another number. You're just yeah. like, you're still lowest on the totem pole. Yep. Yeah. But getting pinned, special. getting pinned E5 and having that smoke session really felt special to you. Dude, for sure. So after that, you get your blood rank. You had to do push-ups while you <laughs> they sprayed you with a hose. You said that you PCS right after that, right? Yeah, I went to um, Misau, still in Germany. Okay. Um, but this was a cash. So um, former MASH, if anybody's ever watched the show. Um, <laughs> probably not. I've seen, <laughs> it's I've an seen older MASH, show. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I went there and I just showed up like brand new E5. Bells on, ready to go. Fucking drinking the Kool-Aid and everything. Yep. <laughs> so at this point, you're in a new unit. Uh, you're in E5. You're drinking the Kool-Aid. You kind of find your purpose in the Army. Yeah, I really... So I started to figure out... Um, I wanted to, like, do bigger and better. Like, whatever that looks like. Um, and I wanted to, like, lead and pioneer, like, women, wherever that was. Um 
my first thing that I kind of started was Nine Megan, and that's kind of where I started stuff off. Okay. Um, do you know what Nine Megan is? Not really. Uh, I've, I've heard that the 80 second goes to Nine Megan, does an everyone operation there. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really know what it is, if you can explain it to me. So, Nine Megan is a 100 mile ruck march that takes place over four days in the Netherlands. Okay. And, um, it's a huge military ceremony. A lot of civilians walk it these days, but um, you do a clover leaf around your camp, and it's 25 miles each day. And um, on one of the days, uh, you walk by like failed Operation Market Garden. Um, there's a Canadian World War II cemetery. Like it's a big, it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's a rite of passage, um, and it's also just an awesome thing to do as a military service member. So you, um, you took charge of that in your new unit. Yeah. So I got out there and I basically like, which I don't recommend doing Like if you get to a new unit, like don't immediately be like, I want to do this. Right. Like yeah. don't like <laughs> sit in the back for a while. See how like, things go and yeah. then make your decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Time was not on my side, so I did it. Um, and I was like, hey, I want to take a team to Nine Megan. And they're like, okay, like, cool, maybe. Took a lot, a lot of, like, buy-off. But I eventually got the buy-in from the entire command team um, in January of that year, and we decided we were going to start training. So I got a bunch of people to volunteer. I think we started off with 25 people. Okay. Um, and we started training. Well, um, a few months in, I realized like my ankle, so I'd broken my ankle in AIT and I had never had it like really looked at, well, I mean, I guess they technically looked at it, but they, they like, looked at it, but they were like, here's ibuprofen and Tylenol. Yeah. You're good Change to go. Change your socks. Keep walking. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, dude. Yeah. So I start doing these like long rucks, man. And I'm with training up for it. Yep. Yep. And I'm with, cause like Americans do terribly at this rock march. Okay. And I was not going to be one of those people. Like I was determined my team was going to do well. Um, and we weren't going to fall out. Cause like the 82nd has like a really low rate of completion on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't want to be a part of that. Like I wanted to set a different standard. So, um, I end up going to the doctors and I'm like, Hey, like my ankle is really killing me. Um, they look at it and they tell me the talus, like your middle ankle bone, mine is broken in half and I broke it in half in AIT. And so all this pain that I've been feeling is this thing just making minced meat of the rest of my ankle as I'm running, as I'm rocking, as I'm doing all of this stuff. And they're like, yeah. Like, this is a full reconstruction. Jeez. And I'm like, meh. You're like, eh, it'll be fine. Hang on. It'll yeah, buff. Yeah, like, hang on. But at this point in time, I had really, really, really wanted to get into soft. Like, uh-huh. I felt like that was where I wanted to go. And so I knew that in order for me to have my best chance of a success over there, I had to do this. So I talked to the docs, and I'm like, hey, okay. It was like March, right? I'm like... I'm supposed to do nine, Megan, the first week of July. Let's make this happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, no. <laughs> and I'm like. They're like, new. No. Uh, how long is recovery? And they're like, 12 weeks. And I'm like, okay, so if we do it before this date, I'll be fine. And they're like, what? <laughs> what? No. You still got to recover. Yeah. They're yeah. like, the recovery is a year. Like, this is a year. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think you understand. 
So my surgeon, I don't know if you liked my panache, my pizzazz, whatever it was, he got me in fast. Okay. So three weeks later, I went under the knife, full ankle reconstruction. Then I was in a cast for eight weeks. I got cut out of the cast two weeks before nine, Megan. Okay. <laughs> my left calf was tiny, dude. Like no muscle left, anything. It was so bad <laughs> and it cut me out. And I'm like, I told my physical therapist, hey man, uh, I need to learn to walk real fast again. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to Nine Megan in a couple of weeks. And he's like, oh, Nine Megan, I'm going too. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I'm participating. Yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, let's we're do both it, doing it. Right. And he's like, you're, you're not, you're not doing that. And I'm like, oh yeah, I am. So I eventually like swayed him into like, you're either with me or against me. That's it. Like, like, Oh my God. So he ends up like, okay, when you're there, like, just come, just come see me at the end of each day and I'll just keep an eye on you and just check. But like, other than that, like he couldn't stop me from walking. So I end up because I got super nervous by the end of it. I switched my title from being like the leader of the March to the orderly and the orderly is like the medic or whatever. Okay. So they're authorized to like ride a bike throughout the entire hundred miles instead of walking. So I walked with a bike for a hundred miles. Of course, because you're <laughs> stubborn and you didn't want to get on the bike. So stubborn, of dude. Course. So stubborn. Um, and I walked. I walked the whole thing. I was hurting. Heard bad, dude. I would imagine so. But we brought 25 out. Five fell out. Um, Four of the five were additions that, like, my command team threw in at the end of it. We only had one of, like, our guys get thrown out, and he got a pedicure the weekend before we went. Yeah, like... Who the fuck does that? So not it, was a, it was on him, dude. It was on him. Like yeah. you, we've been spending six months building calluses, and you decided to get them all taken off the weekend before we go to Ruck. That's on you. But <laughs> everybody else made it. They did really awesome. So we get to the point where we get back, we get home, we get a, our like ceremony, everything like that. The commander is so mad that I went because I was on profile. Um, that I went that my second in command, uh, she gave her an R column for leading it. She gave everyone that completed the ruck, um, AMs, AMs. Yep. And I got nothing. And I was standing in formation the entire, they didn't even pull me up there. Like I was nothing. Like you didn't even, like you didn't even do it. Oh, fuck. I don't think I've ever been so mad before. I like immediately ran over to our gym and I just, I was like, I was really into boxing back then. And I just like was hitting the heavy bag for a couple hours, like trying to burn off all that rage. I would too, because they gave everybody else an award. Everything. Even though you orchestrated the whole thing, you planned everything to get this team out there. And it's like, you didn't even do it. Yep. Gosh. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's toxic leadership for you in the army. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. So after you got you got your surgery, you did nine Megan, you're kicking ass. You're still you're still literally kicking out there. Uh what happens uh what happens in your career at that point? So um at this point in time, I I'm wanting to go into soft, right? Okay. Like I I want to go into it. The army had a CST program at the time, and so me and one of my really good friends were talking about doing that. Um 
getting our packets together. And then all of a sudden I get told like, hey, a small detachment of our unit is actually getting deployed to Afghanistan. And there was another lab tech that took higher priority, but something happened and he was no longer like deployable. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so they pulled me into the office and they're like, (laughs) it's your turn. It's your turn. You're (laughs) up. And I'm like, but I was going to do this thing. And they're like, you need to decide. And they basically, they gave me the choice, right? Mm -hmm. Like my command team was really amazing back then. Um, They gave me the choice to decide like deploy to Afghanistan um, or go do the CST program. So I thought a lot about it and I talked about it a lot with my friends and I decided to deploy um, and then come back and do the CST program because like not many lab techs in the army have deployed. So at the end of the day, no matter what happens, like at least I would have that to set me apart from other lab techs, even if I don't make it anywhere else. And deployment is always a good experience to have. It's always a good experience to have under your belt. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like most people think that until you actually deploy and then you're like, this sucks. Why did I want to? It does, (laughs) but it's so much more simple and um, it it does teach you a lot though. It It teaches you a lot by yourself and most importantly about your job. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that, uh, about that deployment. So we were doing prison operations out there running a clinic for the prison and then running a clinic for the camp that supported the prison. Um, I won't go too much into it, but, uh, shortly through there, like we were talking about pulling out of Afghanistan. We we're talking about doing all this stuff. So shortly through there, um, our team got cut. We, I think we we're around originally around 70. We got cut down to about 20 people within the first month or two being out there. So everyone got sent home. I stayed cause I was the only lab tech that was out there. Um, and we, you know, we just, worked um and we're trying to like close things down basically that didn't end up happening obviously because we stayed in (laughs) afghanistan far longer yeah but that was like the original plan was to like start closing things down and things are super simple out there man it was you know like do your job like and stay alive that's all you had to worry about um you didn't have all the like social implications and like all of the other stuff, you know, the drama that comes with like being at home. Yeah. Deployment life is a lot simpler. Um, anything, um, any highlights that you, that, that happened during your deployment? Um, I think like, not really. I just remember like towards the end, like politics really affected our life out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um whatever was going on just depended on how many rockets we would get that night God damn. was going on so jesus christ we, like towards the end of things we had a lot of problems um but in the beginning it was it was easy towards the end it was like just give me the fuck out of <laughs> <laughs> so and how was how was coming back how was redeployment Dude, I think a lot of people don't talk about it or don't understand it. Like if you have friends that are in the military or you're like a spouse or something like that, like when you're gone, it's such an unreal thing. It really feels like like time has paused at home for you. Yeah. Um, and so getting back home um you realize that like that's not the case right like everyone and and you know being a single person like 
I rely so much on my friends and my family and everything like that. And they've been moving on with their life, right? Like they've had a whole year to like do things change and all of that happens very quickly, even though it doesn't seem fast, but when you're gone and you try and reintegrate, like it's just, it's really, really hard. You're right. It, it, it does seem that way. And, um, redeployment is hard. And and I agree with you that, uh, not a lot of people talk about it. Uh, we all talk about our deployments and what we did before and um, what happened during our deployments, but we don't talk about what happens afterwards. And it does feel like time kind of freezes for you, mm-hmm. but everybody else keeps moving forward. And in a sense, and this is probably just me talking, in a sense, it feels unfair. It's it like does. everybody is, is fast forwarded a year and you're coming back uh, a year like stuck in the past and you're like, why is everybody moved forward? It's yeah. not fair. Uh friends that you might be friends with have, uh, are married, have kids, whatever the case may be, but everybody evolves in their life and you're just coming back to pick up the pieces. And, uh, it, it is really hard sometimes it being, especially being single. Um, because one, you don't really have anybody to kind of be there for you. Yep. Um, and, and if you're married with kids, I imagine it would be a lot, a lot harder because now your kids can go from, not being able to speak to probably being able to walk mm-hmm. kids are going from like middle school to high school. And all this is kind of like just jumbled in and you're starting to feel like, well, why, why wasn't I, why wasn't I part of that? And, and you're starting yeah. to feel like everything's not fair on top of like going from something so simple to something very complicated. Yeah. Like there are so many nuances in our life today that we don't realize are very complicated decisions, right? Like, I remember coming home and like going to the grocery store and being so overwhelmed and just being like, I, like I literally just need food, right? Like, but I'd been eating at a defect or an MRE for the last year of my life. And like, now I need to go shop. I need to cook. I need to do all of these things. And like for the last year, I haven't like needed to do that or had to do that or think about it. So on top of like all these other feelings that you have, like you have all of these extra things that like other people don't understand. And it's really, it's really fucking hard. Reintegrating back to regular life is actually is after deployment is really hard and it it does take a toll on you sometimes. Um, But it's just the resiliency aspect of it. That kind of keeps you going forward. Yeah. The more you do it, the easier it gets for sure too. Yeah. And then you start forgetting about it and then eventually (laughs) you just reintegrate, you know, easy. Yep. Um, So you're redeploying at this point. Do you finally go uh, soft like you wanted to? I did actually. So while I was gone, I, um, I did two things. One, I put in a nine Megan packet cause I, I had to redo it again and I had to like get the fucking award for doing it like mm-hmm. on my own. Um, and then I also put in a packet for CA selection. Shout out to CA baby. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't know at the time um, what the fuck CA was. Nobody knows, to be honest. Nobody knows. <laughs> All I knew was I wanted to be a Sockum. And the only way to be a Sockum as a female, not 68 whiskey, was, was CA, CA selection. Yeah. That was it. Let's fucking do it. So you went <laughs> CA selection. Yep. Um, how was CA selection for you? Because I remember it was, it wasn't, looking back on it, it wasn't hard. But while you're doing it, it's like, it it just fucking sucks. Part of it just sucks. I think, yeah, I think like you kind of go into it with the mentality of just like day at a time, like let's fucking go, right? You don't really know what to expect. 
it was pretty, pretty easy for me, I guess to say, except for the very end. Like I, I was sucking, right? Like nobody, nobody goes through it. Just like, this is a cake wall. Yeah. Nobody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But at the very end they used to, and I don't know if they still do it, but there was a board the last day before you like find out everything. And they pull me into this board and like they're pulling people to go talk to the Sykes again, but then everyone has to go like sit in front of this board one final time. And they ask any like clarifying questions, whatever, whatever it is. Right. I, and I don't remember to this day one, I think I was so sleep deprived Two, I was really upset when I left this place. Um, they fucking destroyed me. <laughs> they just destroyed yourself. Dude, Any self-confidence every, that you had? Everything and anything about me possible was just like <laughs> smashed into a pile of dirt. I felt like the worst piece of shit ever leaving that room. <laughs> like, uh, this is terrible to admit, but like as a female, I was like, I wanted to just fucking curl in a ball and cry, dude. Like, it was so bad. <laughs> And everyone else was leaving like, oh, that was amazing. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And I'm like, oh, my God. Right? And I'm looking at some of these people, and I'm like, there's no way you're going to get selected. Like, yeah. Like, you you couldn't even, like, make the house right. Yeah. You know, or, like, whatever, right? Like, there's no way. Like, I know I'm better than you. And everyone's, like, so happy. <laughs> and one of my buddies comes over to me, and he's like, hey, he's like, you're really fucking quiet. I'm not a quiet person. So he's like, you good? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not good. I'm not good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, but I like, didn't tell him too much. Cause I was like trying really fucking hard not to cry. I didn't want to cry in front of all these people. And he's like, all right, here you go, man. So he gives me a little bit of fucking Gatorade in my canteen. Cause you know, we'd been drinking ORS up to that point. It was the middle of the fucking summer, hot as fuck. So I throw some Gatorade in my canteen. And I'm sitting on the ground next to my uh, locker and my canteen is sitting on the second shelf of the locker, like the second locker. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just like packing my stuff up, trying not to fucking cry, not talking to anyone. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, this fucking locker dumps (laughs) out of nowhere. (laughs) And... As perfect as it is, the Gatorade just pours on me. Oh, shit. <laughs> Gatorade water canteen covers me, drenches me. Everyone comes running over. They pull the locker off me. Nobody was near this thing at all. Okay. And so I just like took it as a sign to like just lose my absolute complete shit. <laughs> right? Like I just fucking break down and I'm like, I am straight up not okay. I'm crying. Everyone's like, it's fine. Right? Like, I'm yeah, like no, it's not fine. It's not fucking fine. Not fine. I walk outside. Thankfully, I've learned the ability to compose myself really quickly. Come back in. I'm like, we're good. Right? Like, we're good. Okay. I was not okay, though. I was fucking freaking out. Because the other thing that people didn't know was the next day was my fucking birthday. Oh, shit. Yeah. The day we were going to find all of this out, and I had just been fucking pummeled. Pummeled. So I was pretty sure I wasn't going to get selected. Was my fucking birthday. Oh. Dude, yeah. So you're already feeling bad because they fucking fried you in the board. A locker fell on top, magically fell on top magically, of you. Dude. And now it's the and now it's your birthday. 
And you find out if you're getting selected or not. Yeah, yeah. They break us off into our two formations, and then they're like, you're selected, you're not selected, basically. But it was way more dramatic than that. Like, they broke us into two, and then they, like, left for a little bit. More dramatic effect, right? Like, taking a page out of Gru's book from Despicable Me. (laughs) Um, And then I found out I was selected. So, good birthday. So you got that calm. Yeah, good birthday. That calm way coming out. Fuck, dude, that was terrible. <laughs> so you get selected, a locker falls on top of you. If that's not a red flag, I don't know what is. Yeah. Go CA. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you go to Airborne School, you you come back to Bragg, and you start uh, the course, right? Yep. Um, what was your language? Uh, I got Chinese Mandarin. Oh, yeah. that is terrible. Yeah. yeah. That's because that's you did good on the D-Lab. I eat. Accidentally, man. I thought I failed that. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, uh, fi- so finally, do you get to uh, go to Sockham after after the course? Yeah, I almost got dropped during the course. Um, so we had what we like infamously called like Ruck Apocalypse. Um, so we used to have to do on Monday you do your PT test with your height and weight. Wednesday you do your five mile run. Friday you do your twelve mile rock. Well, um, the week after language school, whenever we did this, um, the humidity for the ruck march was insane. I want to say it was like 70%, but it was like 70 degrees outside. So it was like just a a weird muggy. Um, But it ended up out of like our 70 people, I think only 12 people passed the 12 mile. Yeah, damn. Yeah. So a fuck ton of people got recycled everyone that failed it they had a chance to do it again and i think it was like 25 people after the second time ended up getting dropped well i was one of the 12 that passed the rock march but i had failed height and weight okay so the following week they had me go in they had me do height and weight um now for the dudes it was kind of the good old boy system where if you passed everything and you go in there, you were good, right? Like the cadre didn't even do it. Well, they didn't have any like female cadre at the time. So they had one like support staff person that came in and just her by herself like taped me and I got dropped because I failed tape. Okay. So all my buddies are like, some of them are people that like had to get taped also. And I'm like, what the heck? So I ended up fighting it. And I got recycled instead of getting completely dropped from the course, finished, okay. and then I eventually like got to Sockham, but it was a really close call at one point in time. And if that's not another red flag, I don't know what is. <laughs> Go see <CA>. it. <laughs> <laughs> so you finally went to Sockham. Uh, you you got recycled to the next class of CAQC. Then you went straight to Sockham. Tell me a little bit about uh, your experience at Sockham. It was so shitty. Um, <laughs> it's never a good experience, is yeah. it? Yeah. They tell you when you go to Sockham, like, treat it like a deployment. Um, that's absolutely accurate. And I tried to do that. But what they also didn't prepare me for was, like, being one of the first females, like, going into that course. Um, it sucked real hard, man. Like, I uh, just by accident made two friends. Um I, I was always like a really strong rock marcher and I ended up making friends with these two guys because I kept challenging them in a ruck march. Um, we, we do our rocks and I would come in like at, like with them. And I was like one of the only females that ever be up close in the front. Like I was, it was one of the things I was really good at. 
Um, so going later on in the course, when grades really started like tanking, once you hit A and P, like A and P is fucking crazy. It used to be. Ammerman's not there anymore, but when he was there, like doing one of his pin tests, you're guaranteed to fail. Like <laughs> super easy. I remember we had a pin one time and a kidney. So you had to do like your standard book test and then you had to do a pin test. What's a pin test? So Ammerman would take a pin, right, and put it in a poster, a cadaver, or a um, maybe like a model of like a body or a body part or an organ or something like that. Okay. And then would have a question associated with it. So sometimes, not often with Ammerman, it was like, what is this muscle, right? And the pin would just be in a muscle and you'd have to name it. But then other times it would be like, I remember one was in a kidney of like a, it was like a body with a kidney and the pin was in the kidney and it was like, Bobby Sue is going into renal renal failure. His sister, Betty Jo, is going to donate a kidney. What kidney are they donating? What the fuck does that mean? Like, what? What? And then he's like, well, it's this one because it's higher than this and this and this and like everything. And I'm like, I don't think anybody taught us that, but <laughs> apparently it's this kidney now, you know, All like, right. so everyone was like failing this stuff. Um, I, by just the skin of my teeth was doing pretty well in class. And so these two guys that I kept besting in rock marches came up to me and they were like, Hey, uh, you're pretty smart. We're failing. Can you help? Yeah. So you started mentoring these two guys. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it was. uh, And they became like my closest fucking friends. Like they were awesome. They were amazing. And it also pushed me to do better and like be better in the course. Um, Whereas like, so I was like doing really well. Then I started doing like exceptionally well because I was studying way more than I ever would have if I wasn't with them. So, yeah. So uh, you... You talked about uh, how about how you studied a lot, mentored two guys. Did you get distinguished undergrad? I did. Oh yeah. shit! Okay. Yep. So it it got a little hazy for a minute um, when I was in trauma one. Um, I had been dealing with a lot, a lot of like hate and a lot of violence. Um, guys were doing like just super fucked up things. Like they'd grab my phone number off the alert roster and they would like blow my phone up in the middle of the night and be like, Hey baby, should I come over tonight? Stuff like that. When like all of them knew that I like, I had, I had a boyfriend, like nothing had ever been involved or anything like that with any of them. Yeah. Um, they would like slip notes into my book and stuff like that. Um, it got to a point where they started like physically like aggressing me, Um, and so I got to a point where I, I could barely take it, but the cadre pulled me in to their office during trauma one and they were like, Hey, just take a recycle. Like, um, and the cadre, so it was cadre, it was students. It was everybody that was like against me at this point in time. Yeah. I've, I, I kept getting negative counseling statements for like random wazoo shit from like, like way far back and they were trying to like get me in front of a board to drop me basically um and i had told the cadre i was like you know what like i'm i'm not gonna drop i'm not gonna drop because i i was like the number one person in the class at that point in time and i had a really good chance of making distinguished honor grad and if i recycled 
obviously yeah you're not eligible for any of that and they're like no please it'll be safer like do it and so I decided not to do it um and it was a really really hard decision because things definitely would have been easier but I'm really fucking happy that I pushed through and that I did it because um at the end of the day when I graduated I ended up having um all three of the top honors that they give um in that school um, and I remember the commander pulled me into his office and he's like, we, we're, we can't give you all three, but, um, we'll give you two of the three. I'm going to give this one to the class leader. And I was like, yeah, yeah. all right. Yeah, no, but like that enough for me was like, I fucking crush this, you know? And that's where, that's where I think resili- resiliency, uh, comes into play because you really have to know your purpose. You really have to know your why. And, um, you have to be able to have that, um, that grit to be able to drive forward and not let, uh, any external circumstances stop you from whatever you're trying to do. And, and I think that's important. Obviously you showed a lot of resiliency at that point. Um, moving forward, you went, uh, you finally graduated Sockham, yeah. right. As a <laughs> distinguished undergrad, um, with pretty much everything. Right. You, you, you honored in everything that they got, that they had, uh, crushed it. And then you finally get to the CA. Uh, do you get deployed at some point? Uh, yeah, I get deployed pretty quickly after I got to CA, got to my unit. Um, and we went to the Middle East, obviously right off the bat. Um, and I was in Lebanon for my first deployment. Um, and (laughs) I remember walking in, right? Like, you're like, I'm soft. I'm so tough. Like, yeah, 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 I'm cool as shit. And we get there, and, like, our the other team, the outgoing team, like, picked us up, and we're driving back through our, um, through the gate, and they're doing training, and there are dudes buck-ass naked getting skull drug <laughs> through rocks with their face in the rocks. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what is this? And they're like, oh, that's their soft training. Yeah, damn. And I'm like, we are weak-ass bitches. Like, yeah. I didn't, I didn't crawl naked through any rocks. I didn't get naked. <laughs> like, you didn't. Because you didn't go to the right seer. Nope. <laughs> I did not get naked at that point. I did not get naked and go through rocks. I went to the real seer. And the fake seer. No, I went to the real seer. So guys are being skull dragged naked when you get there. Yeah. Um, what uh, what happens uh, during that time? I know we talked about it a little bit, but I just want you to go ahead and comment. What happens during that time, Ashley? Oh, man. So Middle Eastern guys really love, like, blonde hair tan tricks um and the commander of that soft unit (laughs) this is the story that i'm waiting for (laughs) ends up like like falling head over heels for me um and i used to have to go talk to him a lot right because when i first got out there i was a new medic i wanted to like do my duty right so i opened sick call up to all of his like soft students and the cadre, the worst mistake I ever made. So this is a fo- this is a foreign uh, army. Yep, they they are opening this foreign up. Foreign military, and I opened this up to them. And so my partner Brian, he was a he was an eighteen Delta. Him and I would run sick call, 
If he was running sick call, there's nobody there. <laughs> if I'm running sick call, we've got 50, 60 dudes in lines out in lines outside the door. <laughs> Doctor Ashley, Doctor Ashley. <laughs> it was crazy. So I'm like trying to taper this off, and like my command team's already like, "What are you doing? Yeah. Like, what is happening here?" And I'm like, eh, "I don't know." So then. We, Brian and I come back from something, I don't remember what it was, but we were doing something that day and we're driving back and we get onto camp and there's a little tiny fucking like brown puppy in a ditch on the side. And I was like, yeah, stop, please. And he's like, no, 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 we got to get back. I'm like, okay. So we get back and then we're done. And I'm like, let's go find the puppy. (laughs) And Brian, bless his heart, like, the greatest fucking friend this girl's ever had was like, okay, let's go find it. So we're walking around and we're trying to find this dog. And I end up getting too fucking close to the commander's fucking like office. So all of a sudden I'm ushered in there because I don't speak Arabic to tell these dudes like, no, I'm just looking for a dog. Leave me alone. Nope. All of a sudden I'm in there. We got tea pouring, everything. Right. And he's like, how can I help you? And I was like, listen, man, (laughs) This got really far away yeah, from me. I was like, this is all an accident. Like, we weren't trying to come see you. I was just looking for a puppy. Totally good. We're all good. He's like, what puppy? What did it look like? And I'm like, I uh it was just it was just a brown, brown dog outside. All good. All good, man. Like, we don't need to do any of this. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, okay. I'm like, cool. We're not, we're not doing anything, right? Like, dog is gone. We're not doing anything. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, ugh. I don't believe him, right? <laughs> In my heart, I know this dude's fucking with me. Brian and I leave his office. And as we're leaving his office, his aide runs out and starts yelling at people. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we're getting on the fucking gator. And I just see a massive formation in front of his office. And it's cadre in formation. Yeah. And the trainees in formation. Oh, and I look yeah. at Brian and I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, you caused all of this. Yeah. I was like, is that about the dog? It's not about the dog. Brian speaks Levantine. And he's like, it's about the dog. Yeah. Like, oh, no. We've created a, like, camp search party. search. Like, 300 dudes instead of getting skull drug <sighs> naked right now are trying to find a dog. Oh, yeah. Imagine like the victory they will feel if they find this dog, yeah. right? It's like, fuck. So the next day, <laughs> the next day. This is great. He texts me and he's like, I have your dog. And I'm like, what? No, 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 no. Yeah, like we were done with that. No, I didn't. I didn't want the dog. And he's like, come pick it up. I have your dog. And I'm like, Okay. How do I break this to the AOB star major and AOB commander? Oh, shit. Yeah. Like, mind you, the CENTCOM leadership is on their way in in four days. Oh, God. To visit. So they're already, like, super on edge. Yeah. And now I'm about to have to convince them to keep this fucking puppy on camp. Oh, shit. We go over there, and I'm like, hey, I I don't even remember his name. I was K something. I was like, hey, Captain K, like, how how did we get this dog? Like, what's up? And he was like, well, he's like, the Australians had the dog. They were going to raise it for their own. We took it. 
I said, you don't take anything on my camp with all my approval. Here's your dog. God damn. All right. Oh my God. So he big dicked the Australians. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> she ended up being called Khaleesi. Okay. Because obviously she's the mother of all dragons at yeah. that point. Okay. Um, and then I'm walking back with Brian, my trusted battle buddy. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> I can't tell the command team that I was given a dog. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, come on, bro. <laughs> like, I don't have a dick. Like, I need yeah. you to do this for me. He's like, I don't, I don't really want to, Ashley. He's like, I'm I don't like, want to get involved. Yeah. And I'm like, you're going to have to do it. <laughs> and he's like, okay. So he goes in and he tells the AOB star major and the AOB commander that he was gifted a puppy and he has to keep it because it'll be really rude. Like, it's it was, true. we can't not keep it at this point in time. Yeah. Right. Like, like, we have to keep this dog. Um, and he goes in and he tells them. And all of a sudden, I just hear them yell, Ashley, get in here. <laughs> You're just like, like, oh, like, I knew it. How did they know it was me? <laughs> and I come in and they're like, this is your doing. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. We kept the dog, though. Okay. Yeah, she was a spoiled princess. Aww. She actually went back with the team. Um, one of the guys brought her back home and everything. Aww. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a super sweet dog. Oh, yeah. she was raised well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you stand up this sick call. Did any, did any, because you, you said that you stood up the sick call and that guys just came to you, just wanted to, just literally just wanted to see you. Yeah. Did anybody come in with actual problems? Oh, yeah. So we did have, oh man. So... Part of me, like, trying to do this was trying to get more experience on, like, actual medical stuff. And, like, most of them didn't have medical problems. But we did have this one guy who had leaned up against a hot generator and had burned himself from his belly button down to, like, the top of his dick. Oh. Um, oh. And third degree burns. So he comes in and... Um, we're sitting there and we're like, all right, we're going to give him some pain meds because we got to, you know, kind of clean this up a little bit and dress it and everything. And he, so Brian calls me after the dude is already there. So Brian's the first guy. And so the dude's like, eh, 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 it hurts really bad. Right? Like, obviously it's got to yeah. hurt. Right. I walk in this dude, all of a sudden is like laying on the table. Like, what's up? <laughs> like, no pain. The whole time. Yeah. He wouldn't take pain meds. And like, as we're scrubbing, oh. he's just sitting there like looking at me like, hey girl, oh. <laughs> like the whole time. And I just was like, no. oh my God. Trying to impress you? Yeah. Were you impressed? Was, I would be it impressed. It was very impressive. Like, I don't think I've liked anybody that much in my life to where <laughs> I would like grit through that. <laughs> like, especially being the top of your dick burnt. Oh like, yeah, no. Bro. That thing's not working, and there's no point in trying to impress. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like, even if I was that impressed, like, that shit's burnt, bro. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah you're not you're not doing anything to that thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a hell of a good time in, uh, what is it? Lebanon. Lebanon. Yeah. And then you come back. Um, anything anything um, exciting happened when you came back um, before you're getting out because at this point you're starting to get out. you're starting to think about getting out right yeah so um i'd had a jump accident and i'd almost like died on that that was kind of crazy yeah it was uh <laughs> so 
we were doing a night jump and um I wasn't super familiar with the MC6 at the time, the parachute that we jump out of, because I'd only ever really, I think I jumped it once or twice before this point, but okay. they were all like very favorable conditions. So one, it's nighttime, so I'm already nervous. Two, the winds were super high, so um, I fucking panicked, man, uh-huh. like... And I didn't understand enough of the mechanics of the MC6 to know, like, why they say high winds, high hands, low winds, low hands. Like, I didn't understand, like, why that made sense. So for me, panicking, I was, like, trying to break. All the way down here. All the way down. And what that actually ended up doing was propelling me even faster in the opposite direction. Fuck. So it... It looked like I was like running with the wind, but I was actually, I was, I was facing into the wind, but because I was braking so hard, I was actually running with the wind, Okay. which I didn't understand any of those mechanics at the time. Um, and it propelled me into a tree, (laughs) (laughs) very, very high up. I was about 200, 250 feet up in the air, uh, which is like where they tell you to actually like. Pull your reserve (laughs) to climb down that thing. This shit does not reach the bottom, by the way. (laughs) No, No, I've landed in the trees before and it does not. No. So I, and it's like 10 o'clock at night. And of course, classically, because nothing bad ever happens when you are like perfectly prepared for it. (laughs) My phone is on 5%. Of course. And I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere. Of course. So... I have just enough juice to text my teammate. I'm fucking stuck in a tree. Here's my location. Steven Bussey, shout out to him. Shout that dude, out. Yeah, he's saved my life more than one time. Um, so texted him. And then, like, they gave us a sweet-ass fucking, you know, chem light. And to crack that, and I make a little buzzsaw, and I, like, get, and I see the Humvee, because I can... I can see for miles at this point. Mm -hmm. So I see the Humvee come over. They come up to us. uh, They come up to me. And the dude's down there at the bottom. And I'm like looking down. And it's January. It's cold as fuck. So I'm like shivering. Yeah. I'm shivering. I've got nothing. I mean, just my uniform on. I have no snowball gear on or anything like that. Uh, And this dude's asking me if I want to call a loved one, like to say bye. Fucking excuse me? (laughs) I'm like, what? Like, first of all, one, my phone's almost dead. Two, I don't have any loved ones. Why so are you like, asking me if I want to call loved yeah, ones to say bye? What is yeah, wrong with you? Yeah, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Little did he know how close I was going to get to actual death. At oh my God, okay. But like, fuck, man. Um, it took hours, dude. They couldn't get me down. Um, and so I'm slowly like losing consciousness. Um, I had already dropped my main reserve i had tried well i i did pull my reserve and i dropped it down but and it was fanned out right so i thought it was like there but come to find out thankfully i didn't do it i'd lost a glove because it was fanned out on the second canopy it was the lower canopy of trees okay 
So that wasn't even the ground. I oh, was fuck. still, yeah, I was still 50 feet above the ground. Jesus. So had I like dropped down to there, I would have either like fallen to my death at that point, or I would have been stuck still in the tree. Yeah. But at 50 feet, if I wasn't like hurt at that point. So I ended up having to drop that because the wind caught that too. So then I'm literally just sitting in a tree, like hanging out. Um, just chilling in a fucking tree. Yeah. And I had to tie myself to it because I was losing consciousness and I was starting to like slow, slip away and stuff. Um, so end up um, one of the last signs of hypothermia, like dying by hypothermia is paradoxical undressing. So it's when you basically your brain tricks your body into thinking you're so warm and you're so hot and okay. like you're comfortable. So most people that die of hypothermia are found buck ass naked because that's the last thing that happens. They they think they're super warm, so they take all so their they start taking off. their clothes off. Okay. Yep. So I started doing that. And um, by this point in time, there's just a small gathering of people down around the bottom. Um, but one of the medics, uh, Mike, that I had been buddies with, and thank you, Mike, uh, decided to start stressing the importance of, like, getting me the fuck down. By this point in time, they'd called a Black Hawk in with Jaws of Life, but it wasn't anywhere close yet. Um, so one of, um, one of my other, like, friends from the 92nd, grabs some rope him and another guy climb on top of other people and then get up and he free climbs up to me in the tree with rope rigs like a swiss seat or something i'm i'm pretty much unresponsive at this point in time like rigs a swiss seat and lowers me down to the ground like through the branches yeah the army times wrote a story about this like whole thing a couple years ago yeah when it happened um and i get to the ground and i'm almost completely like undressed at that point in time. And they grab me and they throw me in a vehicle that they'd had like really hot, like um, air blown into and then waited. And then the helicopter that they had called in eventually lands and like flies me um, to Womack and I'm there for a couple of days. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. At the time I had one of the lowest body recorded, like body temperatures recorded and surviving on Fort Bragg. Oh so. my God. <laughs> you're just, you're just breaking records everywhere, aren't Same you? Fame. There Jesus you go. <laughs> Christ. So, so finally you're a seasoned, uh, you're a seasoned NCO. You're doing stuff. You're making, you're making money moves and all this kind of shit. Um, to, uh, just real quick, why and how, you, how and why you decided to finally get out? Um, so I didn't really have a decision to get out. Um, I had been deciding, like I thought I had decided to get out a while ago. Um, and I had started kind of prepping for it, but a really good friend of mine, um, she ended up convincing me to come on her team. Um, and it was for my last deployment. And during that, she ended up convincing me, um, her and the SAR major, um, ended up convincing me by, I had like like just in passing had mentioned that like, cause you know, they always ask like, what's it going to take for you to stay in? And yeah. I was like, send me back to Germany. Like that's not, that's not like a, a real thing that you dream about when you're in CA. Right. No. Like getting to go to Germany is like, there's one slot there. Right. Yeah. Um, 
they were going to give it to me. So I was slotted to go to Germany to be a SORB recruiter. Um, and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I guess I should reenlist, right? So I ended up reenlisting in DEF. But this was all during, like, the time of COVID. And I had started really having, like, problems with the way it was handled. Um, as a medical professional, I just felt like my integrity was, like, kind of being violated and my ethics, like, didn't quite line up with, like, the way they were handling a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It was, like, for a lot of it, like, for me, just the, the math didn't add up. Like, it didn't pass the sniff test. Um, and so they started, on my last deployment, they started doing a vaccine campaign in order to open the embassy back up. And I remember calling my battalion dog, and I talked to him for probably a couple hours about the, like, ethical dilemma that I felt in, like, helping run this because I didn't believe in this vaccine program. And I didn't, I didn't think, like, you know, I mean, we don't force diabetics to take insulin, mm -hmm. you know. You don't make fat people lose weight. Like, why are we going to force this on other people, especially when I didn't believe that it was, like, as bad as they were, like, making it out to be? Um. So we talked for a long time, but I kind of got to the point that at the end of the day, like my duty, like as, as my job, like in the military, my duty was to like do this and was to run this. So I ended up, you know, like running the vaccine campaign, um, for this embassy in order for it to like reopen. Uh, then I got told I had to get the vaccine also. And I was like, Meh. okay. I don't, I don't want to get it. Uh -huh. Like it wasn't mandatory at that point in time. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to get this. Um, you know, it, it kind of goes against everything that like I believe in. And like, if at a point it becomes mandatory, maybe then I'll get it, you know, but like, like I'm super uncomfortable with this. Well, I ended up getting kind of, I'm not gonna say bullied, but you know, like I got convinced, right? Like hardly convinced into getting it. Yeah. Within the first week of getting it, I started having like chest pains and like breathing problems and stuff like that. Um, after I got the second one, things got really bad. Um, my heart was really hurting, like my okay. chest was killing me. Um, and it was to the point that like had I been in the United States, I would have gone to the doctor, you know, I would have gone to the ER, something. So... I had like tried kind of reaching out to my doc a little bit about it, but you know, everyone just kind of blew it off. I, I I'm going to tell you, like I even kind of blew it off. Right. Like you just kind of, you get to that point where like things always hurt. Right. And mm -hmm. you just kind of push past the hurt. Cause you're like, don't be a bitch. Like you've got this, like, it's fine. Like you're no different than every other motherfucker around here that has something that creaks and something that hurts. Yeah. Right. So you just keep pushing. Um, but it started to get worse and worse. So when I got back from deployment, uh, I went to the doc and I was like, hey, like I'm really having trouble breathing. Um, I left deployment running like um, between a 730 and a, or between a 745 and an eight minute like mile. Right. That's not like bad. I, was, I was doing pretty good. I've never been a fast runner. So I was I that was like really, really good for me. Um. And in the weeks and like I went to Clark Clinic, fucking Clark, um, <laughs> I went there and they like did an EKG 
they did a chest x-ray and they're like you're fine like stop being a bitch like move on right mm-hmm. and i'm like Ugh. all right so i kept like going and i kept like convincing myself that this was nothing even though i was having harder and harder time breathing like my runtime was getting like lower and lower um i couldn't even like lay flat in my bed anymore to like go to sleep like i had to sit up in it because anytime i'd lay flat i'd start coughing like crazy my heart started doing weird shit so what was the defining moment that that uh made you go oh this is serious i need to go get it checked out yeah so i was in sock miss in my refresher and um that was always like a really tough situation for me because i would always like i hate being the only female in a situation like looking like an idiot right like like being the only female when you go to Sockmas, you gotta like you gotta be on your shit. So I'd always prepare and I'd go in and like so I could make the best impression possible. Well, I remember one day we were running a scenario and I was carrying a stretcher and it was a the kid that was on the stretcher had had like a serious TBI had been blown up or something like that and I was carrying his head and we're walking and my heart did something fucking weird and I thought I was gonna pass out so I end up dropping the stretcher and I like like bent over and like fell, my fell chest. with it yeah um and i tried to recover really quickly and basically what ended up happening was all the dudes looked at me like a fucking bitch like you can't fucking carry this dude you almost hurt him everything like that and i obviously i didn't say anything about my heart or anything yeah. like that so but that night i went home and i called my doc and i was like hey man like something's fucked up nobody is taking me seriously like please help um and so we did a couple things like I went to a couple, you know, doctor's appointments. They thought at one point, like maybe it was asthma um, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And a couple of weeks later, I ended up feeling like I like I can't even explain it, but I felt like I was going to die. Like and by this point in time, I'd been so gaslit into like by myself and by medical professionals multiple times over by like, this isn't a real thing, mind you. So I got back in May, end of May. This is beginning of October. My run time now is at 13 minutes a mile. Oh my God. So it's significantly slowed down. Almost double. Yeah. Yeah. I can barely fucking breathe. Um, So how did you go from, um, I'm I'm having chest pains to med board? So I, that weekend that I started feeling this like overwhelming, like I'm about to die thing, um, I decided to go talk to my doc that next morning. This is the week before I was supposed to leave for recruiting school, by the way, too. And like about to PCS to Germany, like everything. Um, I went to my doc and I'm like, hey man, something's not right. Like I feel like I'm about to die. So he ends up taking me really seriously. This dude saved my life. I'll tell you, like, I'll tell anybody and everybody. Um, he sends me up to the hospital, a bunch of different tests, everything like that. Well, I get ready to leave, and he's like, hey. Um, he had asked me to call him, so I call him, and he's like, hey, uh, I just need you to walk walk over to the ER. Like, there's some clots in your lungs. Uh, you need to go over there. And at this point, too, I'd had a Holter monitor on, which was monitoring my heart rate, and my heart kept going in and out of AFib. So they kept calling me, like, the monitor people kept calling me, too, like, asking if I was okay. Yeah. So I go over there, um, and I end up in the ER, 
And that was kind of like the moment that my entire life changed that like from that point forward, um, it was, you know, it was like, Hey, you can never like serve again because I had to be put on like blood thinners after that. They were talking about surgery, which thankfully I never had to have surgery, but, um, because of the clots and because of the damage my lungs and my heart took, like I was done. My career was over. Damn. And, and I imagine that that must've taken a toll on you. It fucked me up for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But now, you're, but you've bounced back and you've got a couple of businesses, uh, under your belt Yep. and you're living life. Fuck yeah, right? dude. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Takes a while, but you'll get past it, man. Yeah. Uh, you've had an extensive career. Um, not to mention, uh, resiliency has played a huge aspect in your, in your career. Um, in true wet boots fashion, I'm going to go ahead and ask you a few questions before we head out here. Okay. Cause I know you got to get out of here. Uh, we're in a time crunch. Um, first question, uh, what are your favorite rites of passage? Mm. Man, I've got to say my favorite rites of passage are going to be like, I don't know. We talked about this earlier too. I think the, just the, the welcoming and stuff that like comes to being in a new unit and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, um, every company that I've been to, we have a different little thing and like, sure they call it hazing now, but I feel like that's just, those are kids that have never had to deal with anything hard in life. Like yeah. that shit is earned. Man. It really is. Like, and it makes you feel like earned. you're a part of something. Yep. It makes you, it makes you feel like truly a part of something bigger. And like those, those moments are moments that I cherish no matter like how bad my chest still hurts. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, if there, uh, what advice and or words would you, uh, share with the worst leader you've experienced? Mm. Go home. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, either recognize that you're a shitty leader and like get the fuck out because you either don't care or you don't know how to lead. Yeah. So if you don't care, go the fuck home. If you don't know how to lead, like learn how to lead, like, like you don't have to be born a leader. You just have to learn how to be a leader. And like the army has so much toxic leadership in it. that like, Do not even get me started. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. That yeah. like, like just get out of here, man. There's other things you can do and be toxic at or not have to have people under you. Mm -hmm. so. 100% agree. Uh, what advice would you give someone who is uh, fresh out of basic and or AIT? Ooh. Uh, I'd say almost the same thing. Like if you don't fucking like what you're doing, either like find a job in the military that you're gonna like or get out yeah like like we need quality people that want to be here yeah that's that's absolutely true because so many times you get um you get new people who are just uh like 25 26 years old brand new privates in the army and they're come for some reason CIF is issuing a sense of entitlement. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're, they just come in with a sense of entitlement. Like I'm not going to mow the lawn. I'm not going to fucking yeah. do this, do that. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know yep. what the fuck's going on. Exactly. But it, it just takes some talking to them and, uh, getting them to understand, Hey, th this is not what the fuck we're doing here. Like, yep. this is not what we're doing. This is not what the army is. It's not what you're signed up for. Fucking get used to it and adjust. But the army is adjusting around that, unfortunately. Yeah, it all went downhill with the stress cards. Oh my God. <laughs> I heard about that when I was, I heard about that when I was in my unit. I'm like, what the fuck is a stress card? Yeah, no, no. no. You just oh beat your God. face. That's all you do. <laughs> and the very last question, um, 
throughout all your throughout all your ups and downs, would you do it all over again? Absolutely. That's what I I'm talking loved about. What I did. That's what I like to hear. Uh, Ashley, well, you've had quite an extensive career. Like we said, you definitely have some wisdom to share. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Uh, go ahead and plug anything that you got going on. Um, yeah, I, uh, basically at the moment I'm trying to build my Instagram following. So it's Ashley saves old houses. Super easy. Um, yeah, we're always working to save and restore historic houses, um, along the East coast. Hell yeah. And in true wet boots fashion, I'm going to go ahead and give you, uh, these two wet boots stickers that, oh, my camera guy can't zoom in. (laughs) (laughs) My camera guy can't zoom in, but if you're a guest on the podcast, you get these two stickers. Here you go. Thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been such an honor and a privilege to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, be sure to follow us on all social media, find us on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple podcasts. Be sure to follow Ashley on Instagram, Twitter. No. Be sure to follow Ashley on Instagram <laughs> and uh, share along in her story. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you for you. joining us today, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time.